Pray with me. Father, we thank you for, um, for the truth of this passage that you have, um, you've given to us. Father, we thank you for the, the joy that we have in it. And so, Father, now I pray that you would guide my words and you would um, guide the meditation of our hearts as we dive into this passage. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So I, I just, this is, has nothing to do with the sermon. I just feel compelled to tell you. I don't feel like I say this enough. I'm, I'm very thankful to be uh, your pastor and to get to minister to you all. Um, I love you all. Uh, the more and more I'm in this position, the more and more of you that I'm getting to know, um, the more and more my affections are, are stirred for you all. And so I just want to let you know I love you and I really care about you. So that is, that's a freebie. That has nothing to do with this sermon. It's completely unrelated. Uh, although it does talk about God's love in here. So maybe that's just an application. Uh, so on to the sermon. I think that, you know, when we've been walking through, um, we've been walking through these past couple of weeks looking at what justification means and how it comes to us only on the basis of God's undeserved favor, and it comes through the avenue of faith, um, that it can become this kind of propositional, black and white, almost lifeless just doctrine. And what we're um, confronted with here in Romans 5 is that's, we cannot stay there. And we shouldn't stay there. Uh, the, the truth the doctrine of justification by faith, the truth that God gives to you a right standing on the basis of another, on the basis of himself, alien to you, outside of you, having nothing to do with you, um, that truth produces in us joy. It produces in us uh, praise to God. So theology leads to doxology. So we don't just want to theologize, we want to doxologize. We, we don't want to just... We don't want to deaden and flatten uh, the, the, the corners and the edges on this truth. We, we, we want to let it sink in and not just sink into our kind of mental uh, index system of the doctrines that we believe. Um, this, this is truth that is meant to enter in there, but this is meant to seep down slowly, to, to trickle down into uh, the deepest parts of our soul and, to f- and then f- well up in us joy and life. And uh, if, you have, uh, if you've been following Jesus for any time, you, you know what I'm talking about. You've, 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 you've had times of that. You might not be in a time um, of that right now, but, but you know what I'm talking about, where, um, where this truth, it, it does something in you. It begins to, to churn inside of you and burn inside of you. And so that's what we have before us here in Romans 5. And I think, you know, often what happens with, with this doctrine of justification by faith is it, it, it's, it becomes almost as if like a, it's like we have a relationship with, with a filing cabinet or something. And it's just like this, this idea of like this judicial signing off of a paper, like there's this exchange where Jesus takes our sin and we get his righteousness. And it's just like this heavenly transaction. And it's just up there and I'm thankful for it, but it's just like, up there and it's in heaven and there's this piece of paper that's signed by God and it's in a filing cabinet and I'll, you know, I'm, that's going to get me into heaven. And so I think our, you know, our, we, we, we 
end up treating our relationship with God as if it's just this heavenly filing cabinet, like he's just signed papers for us. But, I mean, the, the reality with any signing of any legal documents, especially with something um, in terms of, like, reconciling or adopting, um, I mean, I think about, you know, Logan and Melody, when they, when they adopted their daughter, they didn't just sign a piece of paper and say, all right, Grayson, you're adopted, bye, and, like, never see her. Like, they, they signed the papers and, and she came into the family. So there, there is this, there is a level, like, where, yeah, the, the signing, the black and white propositional stuff that comes first, and that's important, but that actually uh, leads to and is grounded in uh, experiencing the truth and the reality of what those signed documents bring to us. And so that's what we have here, is we get to live not only understanding this justification from God, but we get to live in it, and we get to live out of it. I think about uh, Martin Luther. He was, uh, before he was converted, he was a, a Catholic priest, and so he, you know, he had read, I'm sure he'd read Romans a thousand times. But for some reason, this one time he read it, he came across Romans 117, which before had just been this kind of mental, yeah, I agree with that, when it talks about God's righteousness coming from faith and for faith, and it's, it's given to us outside of ourselves. And, and for, for some reason, one, one time when he read it, it just clicked. It became real to him. It became not just this thing he was mentally assenting to. It became something that his heart grasped and clung to for life. And he says this in light of a, a reflecting back on years later, that happening, reading Romans 117. He says this about, about his experience with that. He says, when I discovered that, and when he says that, he means this truth of, that God gives to us righteousness from outside of us, not our own. When I discovered that, I was born again of the Holy Ghost, and the doors of paradise swung open, and I walked in. And I think that's, we can kind of stay in that, in that mental kind of, yeah, it's there, and it's like, it, we almost just treat it as like throwaway theology. It's like, yeah, like I'm justified by faith. And then on to the next thing. But this is the very truth that we dive into, and we find our very being and life in it. And so every single one of us, can cling to this more. Every single one of us should cling to this more. It's for our good. It's for our joy. It's a truth that we shouldn't overlook. It's a truth that we shouldn't um, skip past. It's a, it's a truth that we shouldn't speed over. This is, some, this is when we slow down and take the scenic route. Um, we, we've done the hard work of figuring out what, what is this? How did it come to us? And now it, it's time to enjoy it and to soak it in and to really live in it. So Paul starts out here in verse 1 saying, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith. So he's pulling on everything he's been saying. And he's saying, now there's implications. And he's going to lay out these benefits of justification by faith. So I just want to just lay out what what those are. And then we'll walk through them. And and there's really three kind of uh, big areas with a couple of components in each. Uh, But the first one that we see is that one of the benefits of being justified by faith is that we have peace with God and access into grace. And this is so profound and real to us that that actually provides uh, in us an ability to rejoice even in suffering, as we'll see. So um, trusting in justification by faith, that truth provides to us peace and assurance, or sorry, peace and access. But then the second thing we'll see is that it also provides to us assurance 
Assurance that our salvation is secure because we know that Christ died for us while we were still sinners. Not while we had gotten better and stronger, but while we were still. And then the last thing is when one of the benefits of of being justified by faith and clinging to that is that you rejoice. You're marked by joy. And so we'll walk through those, but just want to lay that out for you. So look with me, if you will. We're just going to just walk through this passage. So the first thing that we see here, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, peace with God. This isn't the peace of God, which some kind of just subjective feeling, which that is, that's part of it. We do get this kind of calmness in us uh, when we know that we are not the enemies of God anymore. But this is something different. This is peace with God. This is objective, even when you don't feel it, even when you don't sense the calmness. And what this means is that if we have peace with God now, what that means is before we didn't, before we were actually at war with God. So whether you believe it or not about yourself and about people in the world, that, that's, that is outside of Christ. When our proximity is far from Jesus, that, that is our state before God. We're, we're at war with him. But he says that is not how it is anymore. We are not at war with God. We might wrestle with God. We will wrestle with God, but we don't war with him anymore. We're not battling with him anymore. And so this is, this is why, we, why we can't simply just turn our back uh, or turn back to God on our own because we're fighting against God. We are at war with him, so we are actively fighting against him. And then also what that means is that there's a legal terms against us, God's wrath. So we can't just escape from that or God would no longer be just. And so as we've looked at in the past couple of weeks, this is the impossibility of our condition. This is the impossibility of the, of the human state. But we know that we now have peace. Why? Because Jesus, God himself, absorbs all of that. He absorbs all of our tendencies to fight against God and to war against him. And he absorbs all the legal punishment from God as well so that we can have peace. And then he comes out with the war spoils that he brings to us. And what are those? What what are the war spoils that Jesus brings to us after he's gone through the war and the agony of the cross? It's peace. Peace with God is what he brings to us. So we have peace with God because of God. Not because of our own self, but we have peace with God precisely because of Jesus, because of God. So then the next thing that, that, um, that we have, one of the benefits of being justified by faith is that not only are we, uh, we have peace with God, but we have access into this grace. This idea of access is that we're being introduced, we're being welcomed, we're being ushered in to God's grace. It's his unmerited, kind favor. It's kind of like, you know, if you think about how if you want to become friends with the president, and you may or may not want to do that, I don't know, this isn't the time to discuss that. Uh, if you wanted to become friends with someone like the president, we'll just say the president, uh, how would that happen? Would it, would it be his initiation where he calls you up and says, hey, let's, let's go to O'Henry's and get a nice coffee and I just want to get to know you. No, that, that's not how, you're going to, have to, you're going to have to be introduced to him. Someone's going to have to give you access into the White House. Someone's going to have to let you in. And that, that's, what's, that's the idea here. 
is we're, we're, we're ushered into the very throne room of God through Jesus. Jesus himself brings us into God's thro- throne room. And why? And this is where like, this is where I think our hearts are, don't really trust this. We, 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 I know myself, I often have this idea that God is like, kind of like, okay, well, you know, I'll let you in and I'll sign your Bible autograph and then just get out of the throne room. But what does it say? It says that we, we access into this grace in which we stand. We're accessed in, we're ushered in, we're brought in and we're allowed to stay there. And why in the world would that be? Other than that God wants us there. Because God loves us. Because he loves you. And because he wants you near him. And because he wants relationship with you. Which is an insane thought to think about. That God keeps us around and he's glad to do that. He's happy to do that. He wants to do that. And he does do that. So justification isn't just getting our heavenly filing cabinet straight, getting all my documents lined up, getting them signed by Jesus. What we see here is this peace with God and access into this grace. What we have in justification is friendship with God. This is, this is, this is friendship with a person, not just acknowledging propositions, this is a person uh, in which is bringing us into his family to be not only his children, but also his very friends. God relates with us and welcomes us into his life, into his family, and he welcomes our requests. He welcomes our fears. He welcomes our failures. We're ushered in and we stand in that. We stay in that. That's one of the benefits of being justified by faith, not having been justified on any basis of what you do, but when it's a free gift, this is something that is yours. Free access to the holy place of God 24-7, and God likes it. He wants it more than you do. Like you're not twisting God's arm. He welcomes this. We have access with God. And so then we move into... um, in verse 3, or sorry, uh, near the end of verse 2 and then into verse 3, he says this, we, we stand in this grace and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So now, now there's joy being brought into the picture. Now, okay, I'm, being, I'm let in. I'm welcomed in. I'm, God's arms are spread wide open, welcoming me in on the basis of what he's done for me. This is a free gift. It's not just something he gives to me and then sends me away. He's keeping me around. And that, that truth then begins to well up in us, rejoicing as we taste uh, the, the fruit of peace with God and access into him. It begins to fill our imagination and, and uh, get us wondering about what heaven will be like. I think if outside of those things, heaven just, you know, like, I mean, probably most of us just have this thought of it. It's just like white everywhere. You know, somehow we're walking on just whiteness, you know, and it's just everywhere. We, there's nothing filled in there. But here we're, we're getting foretastes of that. We're getting an appetizer to the main course. We, we're getting peace with God and access. And this is, this, is what we can, this is what we get to continue in for the rest of our entire being for all of eternity. 
you're getting to taste a little bit of what God has, will freely give us in glory. And this is, this is hope. This is what we have. And, and hope in English, it, it's, it's the, the way the word is used now has gotten very watered down. It's, you know, it's just like, we're just hoping that something happens. We just want it to really be true. We want it to really come to fruition. But hope in scripture, it's a different word. And it, it's, it is not mean, it's not meant that way at all. Uh, the idea with hope uh, in scripture is that there's this conviction that something is, is so real in the present or the conviction that something is so going to happen in the future that it fills your present reality with utter certainty that's unshakable, that you almost can't explain. That, that's, what, that's, that's what hope is um, in scripture. And that is what we have. So as we get little foretastes of this, we're thinking this, this is, I mean, this is while I'm still sinning in time and space, this, I can't even imagine what it's going to be like when I'm fully freed from sin and all I want is God and all that I drink in is him and all that I want to uh, be is with him. It, it, I mean, this, it's just, we think it's good now. It's like he's saying, this is, it's, it's only getting better. You're, you're headed on a trajectory that's only getting better. And that's, I mean, that's enough to fill someone who's depressed with a little bit of light. You know, that's, that's enough to fill someone who's in the mid-semester slump with a little bit of hope. Um, we've, uh, we've got a bright future <laughs> ahead of us as those who uh, have trusted in, in Jesus. Um, there's not war with God waiting, awaiting us. There's not um, locked doors awaiting us. There is... Uh, there's open doors and peace with God, and we get to live in that. So you're thinking, okay, well, that's, yeah, like justification, church words, hope, all, glory. That's great when, like, everything's going great, like the beginning of the semester or on fall break. That's fantastic. I love being justified by faith on fall break. But now, what good does it do for me? Because I'm suffering. I'm in pain. I'm in peril right now. Uh, I'm in Sheol, some despair. Uh, what does it have to offer to me now? Life, when it's up, I see it, makes sense. <clears throat> but what about now when life is down? Or maybe you're up now, but, you know, life is going to get down. So does this have anything to offer us? And what we see here is it has everything to offer us in suffering. This, that single truth, that, that one phrase, being justified by faith, that single truth can save you, not just from the wrath of God and save you to himself, but, but save you each and every day. And so uh, Paul begins to unpack this in verse three. He says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Not because of our sufferings, we're not like, looking for pain and, you know, we're not weird like that, but just when they come, we're ready. And we know that, um, that our sufferings are not punishment from God. There's something else. So he walks through this process of how, how does this come, how does this work that we can rejoice in our sufferings? Well, he begins to walk through this kind of progression. He says, Knowing that suffering produces endurance is the first thing that he says. That word endurance there, the idea there is focus. It realigns you. When you get 
you know, smacked in the side of the head with, with something that's, even if it's small, like you stub your toe and you're like, I'm a Christian. You know, you're supposed to protect me from stuff like that, you know, or if it's like big, like serious stuff that like hurts and, you, and it's deep and you don't know how to get out of it and you don't even want to bring anybody into it. Um, those, those sufferings, when those sufferings come, they, they force you to focus. You cannot be all just like ignoring God. I mean, that, that's the very point of which people sometimes turn away from the faith because it was this pressure point. And so, uh, but what Paul says is that we don't fear that. We actually, we don't necessarily like look forward to sufferings, but we look forward to what sufferings can offer to us. Because as Christians, God has redemptive work to do in us through our sufferings, through our trials, through the difficulties in life. So this, this endurance, this focus, this realigning, that then leads to character. And the idea with character is testedness. It's this idea that you've come through the waters to the other side and you've seen, all right, this is real. Jesus actually can save me. Jesus actually matters in the midst of my pain. He actually matters in the midst of my despair. You come through that and there's this testedness, which that then leads to hope. That leads to hope that our confidence is strengthened. What we already trust in is just bolstered even more. And so this, this is why we can rejoice in sufferings because what sufferings have to offer to us as followers of Jesus is pointing to Jesus even more, strengthening our confidence in him. And so, so I'll ask you right now, I mean, if you, I mean, and like I said, it might be something small, might be something medium, might be something large, um, suffering that you're in. Where on your radar, how big is the blip on your radar of justification by faith in that whole equation? Because if it's not, and you're leaning on justification by works, I mean, you're, you're on the verge of shattering because you will see your suffering as punishment. You will see your suffering as punishment from God for sin, for doing something wrong. But when we trust and know that we aren't punished for our sins, that Jesus has fully absorbed that, that is not an option. That is literally not an option. That your suffering is directly related to some failure or shortcoming of yours. That in and of itself is enough to rejoice us, to give us hope, to fill us with, with joy, knowing that there, God has a bigger purpose in mind. He's doing something else. This isn't some vindictive, angry, stabbing us in the back kind of thing. This is, this is trusting that God is for us. From beginning to end, he is for us. And so even when it's seems unbearable and you feel like your suffering is completely unique and it feel like it's unending your sufferings and my sufferings are the very means by which God brings us to a greater appreciation of the benefits that we have in Christ I mean I think about it's like a magnifying glass you know you take a magnifying glass up to something and all of a sudden it's it's features are are very clear they're they're in focus and it's like you, you saw things you didn't see before that's what suffering does to the benefits uh, to us who have trusted in, in Jesus by faith. We, suffering is like bringing a magnifying glass over Christ. We see him 
more clearly, more up close and personal. And we see things in detail that we had not seen before. What this then leads to, he says, I can rejoice in my sufferings. We can rejoice in our sufferings. Why? See this in verse five. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And we see here another aspect of what the Spirit does in the life of a Christian. He not only makes real to us the truth of Jesus, but he makes real to us the love of God. Even the love of God can just become this propositional thing. But the Spirit takes that and makes it real to our hearts. He pours it in. He takes that jug and pours it into our hearts slowly but surely. He continually does that. And so this is why. This is why we can rejoice in our sufferings. Because we know that our sufferings are not for our punishment, but they're for our pointing. They point us and they show us realities in greater detail and in greater clarity. And all this so that we can taste it all the more and live in it. So that's, that's the first thing. That is the first uh, benefit of being justified by faith. What that then provides to us is uh, we have peace and access which produces in us rejoicing even in suffering, precisely in suffering. Then looking at verses 6 through 10, what we see is that God also provides to us assurance, assurance of our salvation, that it's secure. And this is because precisely because Christ has died for us while we were still weak, while we were still sinners. So look with me uh, in verse 6. He says, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. This flies in the face of everything that we would naturally believe. Of every faith system that's out there. This, this is what is flipped. This is what is not natural. This is what is, could only come down from heaven from God. This is what, this, this is, what is revealed. This is, what, this is the kind of thing you don't just lift up a rock and find. I mean, this is, there's no chance that, that anyone w- would land here. But this is, this is the truth uh, that we get to live in. That while we were still weak, still, like let that word sink in a little bit. Still, <laughs> you hadn't gotten out of it. You hadn't gotten strong yet. And I mean, uh, and by my physique, you might be surprised to know that I, um, I am acquainted with weakness. I'm not a, a very strong, you know, I'm not yoked or anything like that. You might be surprised by that, but I'm not. Uh, I'll be humble about it. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm so acquainted with weakness uh, that when I was reading this passage, it reminded me of this, this time in, in high school. I have a younger brother, Steve, and uh, he's two and a half years younger than me. And yes, everyone's whispering Steve. I don't, there's just something about that name. You just like to say Steve. Uh, and I was a senior and he was a sophomore at the time. And we just so happened to take, uh, I, forget, I forget what it's called, weight training together in the gym. So we were working out in the gym together and we were like kind of in the same weight class. And so we worked out together and like we started out kind of at the same level. And then um, before too long, he just like, he started shooting up in his maxes and mine just like kind of just stayed the same. It only made it worse because we had a, uh, 
a sheet plastered on the wall with an alphabetical order of our last names and all your maxes for everything. So I have the same last name as my little brother. Uh, so our names are right next to each other. It's in there. You see it every day. So I was just consistently reminded of my utter weakness that my younger brother was like 20 and 30 and 40 pounds uh, lifting things heavier than I was. So um, I'm, I'm acquainted with weakness. So I'll just tell you that. I'm, I'm sorry to disappoint you, uh, but that's, that's just the truth. And what, honestly, what, what, like I was trying to get stronger, but I was just still weak. <laughs> you know, like I just, the whole, the whole year I just stayed weak. I didn't, it went up a little bit and I made excuses like, oh, well, it's because I'm running cross country and you know, I can't put on any, any mass. Let's, let's just be honest, you know, I just was weak. Um, and, but, you know, we, we get this idea that's like, you know, like I've gotten strong and that's, I was able to like pull myself up a little bit. You know, I was able to lift that weight up, you know, and show God, hey, look at me. I got, I can do something for you. And it's like, no, like Christ died for us while we were weak, still weak. We were, we had been weak and we were still weak. No prospect of getting stronger. Okay. Um, And he even qualifies this even more and says, this was done at the right time. Christ dying for us while we were still weak was done at the right time. This wasn't, this wasn't plan B. This was plan A, that God dies. Uh, God in Christ dies for us while we were weak. And so I know many of you tonight are, you're trying to be strong. You know, and that, and that there's something um, to be said about that, something to be affirmed about that. Um, but, but that's not what God's looking for. Like that, that God is not drawn to that. He's drawn to the weak. He's drawn to the lowly. He's drawn to the, con, the contrite. Those have been pulverized down to dust who are nothing before him. He, he's not attracted to the pushy, the one-uppers. That's not who God dwells with. That's not who God lives with. That's not who God came after. Came after the sick. And so if you have found yourself in Christ that is you, whether you want to realize it and recognize it or not, that is you, that is me. Um, and, and so I think about like, you know, like our, our city needs this. Out of any city in the world, ours needs it. Like our, ours is a city that's worn thin in the, and so deep in the Bible Belt that we're worn thin trying to bulk up for God. Like we've, we've just gotten like tricked, you know? It's, I mean, it's so deep within us that we feel like we've got to be strong. And so, I mean, I think about like, our city needs it. Your campuses need that. People on your hall need that. People on your teams need that. I mean, we, we, this is truth that, that people need, um, that God comes for those while they are still weak. He continues that line of thought, developing it some more. Um, and we don't have time for it tonight. So I want to jump down to the last thing in verse 11. And I'll read it again uh, for us. In verse 11, he says, More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. That's the benefit. That is the benefit of being justified by faith. You get to have joy. In the midst of suffering, in the midst of uh, mid-semester slump, in the midst of good things, you get to be filled with joy. Joy is a sign of being a justified person. When you realize that God cares nothing about your own strength, nothing about your own performance, nothing about your own record, he cares only about the record, performance, and strength of Christ, and you cling to that, 
there is room for rejoicing in that. And you can cling to that and hold on to that, though you might lose everything. I mean, you can lose the world, but if you have Jesus, you have joy. Augustine famously said this, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. Our hearts, that's what this passage is about. Our hearts have finally found what they want. We cannot add to it. We cannot subtract to it. Our hearts have found what they want. It it finds uh, its rest in Christ. And so how do we get this joy? How does this joy grow? It comes through knowing and trusting and meditating on this truth of justification by faith. I mean, I even think about, even just over the last couple of weeks, I've seen that in me. As I've been studying uh, through Romans and getting the benefit of spending so much time in this and then presenting it to you, that is, I've, I've felt that cycle kind of restarting back up and finding joy and diving deeper into this, this truth. So may we rejoice more and more in this. So pray with me. Father, we rejoice in you. We rejoice that you make real to us your love. God, we are so glad that we have life in you. We are so glad that you have given to us the life of your very son, Jesus Christ. We love you. We pray these things in his name. Amen.